I went in, I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. It's called Regeneron and other things too, but I think this was the key, but they gave me Regeneron and it was like unbelievable. That was President Trump speaking in front of the White House in a truly remarkable video that he posted to Twitter on Wednesday evening. This week on The Read Out Loud, we're going to break down these comments and all of their implications. I'm Damian Garde. I'm Adam Feuerstein. And I'm Rebecca Robbins. It is Thursday, October 8th, and first this week we will discuss that Wednesday evening video from the president in which he promoted a COVID-19 treatment he received and its implications for Regeneron, Eli Lilly, COVID-19 vaccines, and of course the FDA. And next we'll dive into the details of developing a COVID-19 drug with George Skangos, CEO of Veer Biotechnology, a company that's working on one such treatment. Finally, we'll zoom out and analyze the way that physicians are talking and speculating about Trump's health. But first, a word about StatPlus. Enjoying the Read Out Loud? Subscribe to Stat Plus to get stories like these. Stat Plus delivers daily market-moving coverage from across biotech, pharma, and the life sciences. Subscribe today to get access to breaking news, exclusives, and analysis from our award-winning team. Subscribe to Stat Plus today at statnews.com slash subscribe. And as a special thanks for being a Read Out Loud listener, enjoy 10% off your first year by using the code POD. P-O-D. So as you heard in the cold open to this episode, Trump essentially recorded an ad for Regeneron's experimental drug. You really had to watch it yourself to get the full flavor uh, and be sure to make it all the way to the end when Trump calls his COVID-19 diagnosis, quote, a blessing in disguise, end quote. Uh, It's hard to even begin breaking this one down, but we're going to give it a try. So for context, as you almost certainly know, President Trump tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19 and was hospitalized on Friday before being discharged or I guess (laughs) before leaving the hospital, let's say on Monday evening. So over the course of those several days, he got several COVID-19 treatments, both experimental and otherwise. Among them was Gilead Science's antiviral drug remdesivir and an infusion of an experimental antibody cocktail being developed by Regeneron. So in videos and tweets and statements from his doctor, Trump has been insisting that he's now feeling great. And in his video posted on Wednesday night, he talked up the experimental COVID-19 treatment he received from Regeneron, as well as a similar drug being developed by Eli Lilly. But these, I view these, I know they call them therapeutic, but to me, it wasn't therapeutic. It just made me better. Okay. I call that a cure. So I want to get these things done. So... We have to get them done. We have to get them approved. I want to get them to the hospitals where people are feeling badly. It's much more important to me than the vaccine. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a statement uh, from Trump. And I, I think it's useful to consider all of this in the context of, you know, the other news this week from the FDA, which basically said that the agency is going to hold vaccine manufacturers to relatively strict standards in order for them to get an emergency use authorization. Um, you know, that reinforced the reality that's become increasingly hard for Trump to deny, which is that there's virtually no chance that we're going to get a vaccine approved even under an EUA before the election. And, you know, he basically conceded that in his video on Wednesday evening. And we're going to have a great vaccine very, very shortly. I think we should have it before the election. But frankly, the politics gets involved and that's OK. 
They want to play. Yeah, when we were talking about this sort of internally, trying to parse what actual news was broken from Trump's video beyond just how uh, extraordinary it was. That's kind of what I landed on, which is that it did seem like the first time that he conceded something that, you know, Adam, as you mentioned, has been a reality, I think, in the minds of the FDA, of companies, of outside observers, which is that there will not be a vaccine before Election Day. And thus the video kind of seemed like him pivoting or turning his attention to getting emergency use authorizations for these two drugs, the Regeneron and Lilly drugs, which, of course, he used the word cure to describe. Right. So in the video, Trump said that he has EUAs teed up, basically, for the Regeneron Lilly antibody drugs. And that actually lines up with the updates we heard on Wednesday from both of those companies. Both Regeneron and Lilly said that they had each submitted requests to the FDA uh, for an EUA for their monoclonal antibody treatment. You know, yeah, we've talked incessantly right on this podcast and people have written stories about, you know, the injection of politics into the FDA regulatory process. And, you know, again, Wednesday night in his comments, Trump is saying, you know, that the EUAs are a done deal. Obviously, we have not heard from the FDA and what they think about any potential EUA, you know, or conditional approval for these antibody treatments. And, you know, again, which sort of just re-injects politics into this discussion. But uh, but Rebecca Damien, I guess I'm curious what you guys think about kind of what this, this sort of overall pivot by Trump, you know, kind of maybe downplaying vaccines and sort of, you know, putting antibody therapies kind of front and center. What do you think this means? Well, one thing to consider is that antibody therapies will be used by a much smaller percentage of Americans relative to vaccines. You know, ideally, everyone uh, for whom it is medically safe to get vaccinated uh, in the United States would get vaccinated. But these antibody treatments are, for the most part, uh, reserved for uh, people who are hospitalized with COVID-19. Don't get me wrong, these are, are an important tool in fighting uh, the pandemic. But I think the overall impact on the trajectory of, of the pandemic is, is a different one. Um, it, is, it is a tool rather than, I think, a vaccine, which there is hope that it could really end the pandemic eventually. Yeah, I think what's strange also when you zoom out far enough and uh, maybe kind of remove the, the sort of baffling pageantry of Trump's video The emergency use authorization program kind of exists for this reason. You know, as you mentioned before, we've seen very little data on these antibody treatments, but were they to be granted emergency use authorizations, they would be reserved for, you know, a small number of people who, again, as Rebecca mentioned, already have COVID-19. So the risk benefit profile is different than it would be for a vaccine. Uh, And the companies, you know, independent of the president of the United States were engaging with the FDA already. So on some level, it does kind of feel like Donald Trump kind of swooping in to put his stamp on something that would be happening even without him, as far as I understand. Yeah. And I would say also that in this video and, and, and even in, in the other statements and other videos that Trump has has made or put out, you know, since this weekend and you know since he left Walter Reed Hospital, that, you know, he is really kind of minimized the seriousness of COVID-19, you know, when he says that when he, you know, exhorts people to, you know, not not let it rule their lives and him coming out and kind of saying that he's never felt better, um, even when we don't really actually know what his condition is right now. How recovered is he from COVID-19? And I think that's a danger uh, that people will sort of take that message and not take COVID-19 as seriously as they should. So we've seen and heard Trump call the Regeneron antibody treatment a cure for COVID-19, and that was based on his experience getting the drug. 
and he's promising to speed approval and get the drug out to hospitals where it will be given to patients for free. Joining us now to discuss all of this is George Skangos, the chief executive officer of Veer Biotechnology. That's a San Francisco-based biotech that's developing an antibody treatment for COVID-19 in partnership with GlaxoSmithKline. George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Damien. Happy to be here. So, George, we got to start this interview asking you for your kind of immediate reaction upon first watching that Trump Regeneron video last night. <laughs> Adam, thanks for the question. It was uh, it was crazy. It certainly reflected a lack of understanding of what went on. Incredibly overstatement. President got antibodies. He got remdesivir. He got steroids. I don't know what else he got. And he apparently is getting better, although you know the course of COVID can be variable. Uh, to attribute it all to the antibodies, a clinical trial with an N of one uh, is obviously unscientific, um, not surprising, frankly, uh, and so incredibly overstated and overhyped. Uh, and I think he jumped on that as a political opportunity to make a case that his administration has fostered the development of effective drugs. So I think Regeneron and Lilly have done a good job. I think the antibodies probably do help. But uh, that interview was uh, just off the charts. So it can be easy to critique Trump for misstating the facts about antibody treatments. But, you know, over the past 10 days, new clinical trial data have been reported, which show that this type of treatment could have real benefit for certain people infected with COVID-19. How do you interpret the study results that have been reported from Regeneron and Eli Lilly? I take um, the results as incredibly encouraging. Uh, you know, Lilly's data that they put out yesterday, actually, uh, you know, showed that they reduced the rate of hospitalization from, I think it was 2.9% to 0.9%. So that's a, about a two-thirds reduction in the rate of hospitalization. I think there are big error bars around those numbers because the number of patients is still small, but their treatment and especially the combination treatment they had looks to be effective. It's working. Regeneron had data also suggestive that there are antibodies having uh, an impact on the course of the disease. So I take this as incredibly encouraging for antibody therapies and uh, encouraging for the society, actually, because uh, if, if there are treatments that can reduce the most severe consequences of the disease, then uh, it's, we don't have to be quite as afraid of it. So your company, Veer, as we mentioned before, working with GlaxoSmithKline, recently announced the start of a large clinical trial involving your own experimental antibody therapy. Can you tell us a bit about that study and how uh, your therapy might be different from, from the ones we've seen so far? Yeah, we do think our antibodies differentiated from the others that are being in development. Uh, it is a good neutralizer of the virus. That's the ability to block the virus to enter cells. That's, that's important. We took care to choose an antibody that has really potent effector function. And that's important because that allows the antibody to recruit cells of the immune system to kill cells that are already affected. So a second mechanism of action. This antibody recognizes both SARS and COVID-2, our antibody, and therefore recognizes an epitope that's highly conserved and difficult for the virus uh, to mutate and escape. And we've extended the half-life with an LS mutation from a company, Zencore. Uh, which extends the half-life of the antibody, but it also increases the concentration of the antibody in the lung. So, George, getting back to that Trump Regeneron video for a second, you know, millions of people have already watched it. And I wonder, you know, what impact, if any, do you think that that is going to have on the way Americans view biotech and pharma companies, particularly with respect to fighting the COVID-19 pandemic? 
Well, I hope it has a positive impact, actually. That could be one positive thing that comes out of that video, that this is an effort by an American biotech company and multiple companies, you mentioned Lilly as well, to fight the pandemic. And it was done in record time. Nobody started these studies, you know, last year. They all started this year. So to identify an antibody, have it manufactured, go through the regulatory process, do the clinical trial in this amount of time is incredible. And the motivation, certainly for us, and I think probably for the others as well, is really not, here's a huge economic opportunity, but here's a public health need. We don't know how big the economic opportunity is going to be, but we can address this and we should. We have a responsibility to do that. So George, are you concerned at all about Trump potentially setting false expectations? You know, in that video, he described the Regeneron antibody as a COVID cure, and he suggested that it would be free and easy for everyone to get. Is that the way it's going to be? I don't know. Look, I, obviously, um, in case you had noticed, there's an election coming up. And so a, a lot of this is uh, obviously political and being spun for political reasons. And I have the same concern that lots of other people have, which is that the politics will trump the science and the medicine. I think the FDA has done an extraordinary job of working quickly with companies uh, to expedite the development of COVID treatments at the same time, maintaining requirements for patient safety and rigor in the analysis of the data. Uh, they are under tremendous pressure to approve things early. Uh, and I hope they can stand up to that pressure and, and continue to do the right thing. But they're in a really difficult situation. So I don't know how it's going to play out. So speaking of the FDA, both Regeneron and Eli Lilly have said that they're already um, beginning the process of, of conversing with the agency to get emergency use authorizations for their antibodies. Are you worried that, you know, conditional approvals for those treatments could interfere with, you know, Veer's ability to conduct clinical trials or other companies developing COVID-19 therapeutics to, um, to run the studies they need to run when there are conditionally approved medicines available? Yeah, uh, well, with the caveat that we really don't know yet, I would say probably not. I think what has happened now is there's a much bigger awareness in the public about the potential for antibodies. So I think that should encourage enrollment in the trial. Uh, to the extent that their EUAs are granted uh, and product is available, then some patients will take the product rather than enroll in the trial. So there are two countervailing factors. You know, Regeneron said they have 50,000 doses available. Uh, they'll have 300,000 in the next few months. Um, Lily, uh, I think, also does not have a lot of doses of the combo. So uh, there are 40,000 new cases a day. So there'll be plenty of patients in the U.S. So I, I would hope that this actually accelerates enrollment. We'll see. We're also doing the study outside the U.S., so hopefully we'll uh, continue to enroll at a good pace. So Veer was founded to develop new treatments for infectious diseases. The company, like so many others in the industry, pivoted quickly to COVID-19 in the early weeks of the pandemic. What was that period of time like for you and your employees? We realized probably in January, Skip Virgin, our CSO, came to me early in January and said, this is the big one. This is going to be a huge pandemic. And so he recognized very early that this was uh, going to be a problem. We knew we could do something about this disease. We pivoted quickly to work on it. It was a huge burden for a company of our size because we didn't stop working on hepatitis B or flu or other programs that we have going forward. We just added this one. So we had to hire some additional people. 
which we've done. Uh, we had to make manufacturing commitments uh, going out into the future. So we had to make a big financial bet. And so there was a lot of decisions, a lot of discussions. Uh, but in the end, uh, this is why Veer exists, you know, that we are here. We were formed with the goal of being able to quickly and effectively treat important infectious diseases. And it's a pandemic. People are dying. Uh, we felt we had a responsibility to do it. And so we jumped in uh, with both feet and uh, we've, we've been running as fast as we can since then. Well, George, thank you for joining us today. Okay, thanks for having me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, timely topic. So beyond all of its implications for science, politics, and the ongoing pandemic, President Trump's COVID-19 diagnosis has brought back an age-old debate in medicine. Is it ethical for doctors to comment on the health of famous patients? Yeah, you know, if you spent any time reading Twitter or watching cable news over the last week, you have probably seen physicians opining on Trump's health, whether it be discussing his symptoms, parsing the statements of his doctors, or explaining the experimental drugs that he received. You know, some of those comments are kind of the by-the-book descriptions of medical care, and others are a little different. Here, for example, is University of California, San Francisco physician Robert Wachter speaking to MSNBC's Rachel Maddow this week about Trump's behavior in the days after he received the steroid dexamethasone. It's hard to say for sure without uh, him being examined by physicians, and I would love it to be independent physicians. But uh, what we do know is that not only does that medicine dexamethasone frequently cause mood swings, even manicness, euphoria, uh, but uh, COVID can also alter your thinking, and particularly in elderly people. When, when an older person so situations like this put doctors in a strange position. There's a compelling public interest in Trump's health, and reporters like us are asking them for their expert opinions. But they're not actually in the room with the president. And that raises the question, where's the line between sharing helpful information and irresponsibly speculating about a famous patient? Yeah, it's a good question. And honestly, I don't know. Having spent some time over the weekend and earlier this week uh, pestering innocent doctors to talk to us for stories instead about Trump's health, about the experimental drugs, it was interesting to perceive the spectrum of how comfortable they were doing so. I think, you know, there are some doctors who... Um, you know, Adam, as you mentioned, kind of go by the book and just speak in generalities. Well, my experience with COVID patients is blank. The president has X, Y, and Z comorbidities, and thus I would say blank. And then there are others, you know, on the other side of the spectrum who are, you know, willing to speculate about things we might not be being told or to, or to be critical of uh, the statements that Trump's doctors at um, Walter Reed have made in public. And so, I don't know how each of those doctors comes to the decision as to how to present this, frankly. Maybe an example of sort of appropriate opining, I think, happened this week when Trump's physician gave an update uh, and revealed that Trump had antibodies to COVID-19 in his system. And, you know, and that and it was sort of couched in these terms that that showed that he was recovering and that he, you know, was feeling great. You know, but as I know, as I saw doctors quickly pointing out on Twitter, for instance, was that, you know, the fact is, is that Trump received an antibody infusion, you know, days before. And so that probably accounted for the presence of the antibodies in his system and didn't necessarily mean that he was recovered. So I think like in those instances, that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, 
doctors opine on Twitter or opine on TV or talk to reporters about it. That's really helpful. You know, the stuff that's sort of not helpful, I think, is like when somebody like takes freeze frames or slows down the video of Trump talking and says that, oh, look, look, he, he's late. He has labor breathing or, he, you know, he's out of breath. You know, that sort of stuff seems a little bit beyond. And I think a key example of that was on Monday night uh, after Trump uh, went back to the White House and, and there was that sort of famous image, instantly iconic image of, of Trump taking off his mask. Um, so, you know, he was sort of in front of the White House and, and there was this video that um, many pundits uh, speculated was showing Trump breathing heavily. Uh, and I think doctors were chiming in there. And, and I think with something like this, the public takes uh, the comments of, of doctors seriously and, and with more credibility than pundits like us who, who don't know what we're talking about. Um, and so I think doctors have, have a responsibility uh, to be judicious about when they are, are weighing in on a famous patient's health, because it, it may suggest to the public uh, that they know more than they actually do. Yeah. And I would add, Rebecca, that the scene that you described, you know, happened right after Trump, like, walked up this long flight of stairs. Uh, you know, Trump is not exactly Mr. Exercise. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he, he could have been, you know, COVID free and also walk upstairs and be completely out of breath. Also, I think one of the fundamental frustrations that doctors have, even those who are trying to be as judicious as possible, is I think the fact that that it's really difficult to know which statements coming from Trump's physicians are complete, are entirely factual. I mean, there was a moment at a press conference Saturday where the lead doctor was asked about whether the president had received supplemental oxygen. And the answer, I think someone asked that question directly. And his response was something like, did he receive supplemental oxygen while the sun was out and I was present and the air conditioner was on? No. And so even people trying to be responsible here are forced into this weird situation where I don't think they really want to publicly say, you know, the White House is lying to us, but they also want to balance that responsibility. I think they feel, Rebecca, as you mentioned, of you know, their doctors and, and whatever they say publicly to us that we print or that goes on television or wherever will be taken by people as, you know, something of an expert opinion. And so I'm actually kind of sympathetic, uh, frankly, to these people who are trying to do this the right way, but are navigating this minefield of, you know, beyond other famous patients, the president has a certain way of communicating and, and the White House as well. And I think that puts them in a difficult position. That does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Heisen Tempanado, who produced this week's episode. Alex Hogan is our senior producer, and Rick Burke is our executive producer. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you liked about this week's episode, what you didn't, and what you make of Trump's Regeneron video. You can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, please leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. See you next week.